Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, August 28th, 2022, covering the book of Philippians. And I'm doing a thing on like different letters of the New Testament that Paul wrote. And it's like, what was that all about? Like, what is 1 Corinthians all about? What is Romans all about? What is um, Galatians all about? And so I wanted to read, I wanted to talk just this morning about, so you're not supposed to have favorites and, but, and I don't, but if you could, um, anyway, I want to talk to you about the letter to the Philippians because, so this is like, because I think, I mean, the Philippians, like for Paul, he was like, you're not supposed to have favorites, but y'all are my favorite. Like, so, because it was just, it's just the sweetest, like, you know, his letter to the Galatians, like, what is wrong with y'all? It's like, who has bewitched you? Y'all are just losing it. And then, um, but to the letter to the Philippians, it was just, they were so precious to him. And it was mainly because these were people who understood what he was about and um and they gave and they gave money to it so that he could do what he was on earth to do and he's like you get me and you get it and they were especially close but so anyway i just so what is philippians all about but um so i wanted to read and from chapter 1 there's just a place in well Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like down in verse 7, he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's clear throughout the whole palace garden to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers have more confidence in the Lord and dare all the more to pro- proclaim the gospel without fear. Help us, Lord, to understand this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book and help us to understand um, how to be more beautiful ourselves and um in just capturing it, capturing the heart of it. We love you, Lord. People need us to be this way, to be the way that he's talking about. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's, um, so I think that there's a thing that people have been kind of searching for, like they're, like, since the history of the world, and that is like the secret of being happy. Like, what is the secret of happiness? What, what is the secret of being a more cheerful person, being a more joyful person? I was reading a report, and it was a bunch of neuro, neuro, neuroscientists and um, talking about the brain and ways that you can think that you can do to make your brain a more cheerful brain. And they had lots of different kinds of suggestions. One of them, one of them said, if a, if you take like take a shower and then you just imagine in your brain like all of your problems going down the drain. Like you just, all your problems going down the drain and just do that every day and it'll help you be more a more cheerful person. And one person said, this is actually true. They said, if you wear something yellow, look at something yellow, look at yellow things. Yellow is a color that neurologically makes your brain more cheerful. And one of them said, if you actually uh, spend some time during the day standing on your head, it will make you a more, just a more cheerful person. And because, you know, something about blood going to your brain and all that stuff. But I had a friend that lots of people here know. He was a guy, a guy who's given his whole life to young life and getting ready to retire. And, but one, one night he woke up and there was something wrong um, in his house. He didn't know what it was. And 
they slept upstairs, so he went downstairs, and on the last step, he stepped into about 18 inches of all the neighbor's sewage that had backed up into his, like, into, and so he had, like, 18 inches of all the neighborhood sewage in, on, in the, the living floor of his house, and I just thought about, like, you know, those, you know, suggestions, like, take a shower and let it all go down the drain. <laughs> that is the problem. You know, th think about something yellow. No. Um, uh, spend some time standing on your head. Way no, no, that is, that is not going to help. But I think so. But the book of Philippians, it just has, the book of Philippians is just four short chapters, and all it talks about is joy and being a joyful person. And there are tons of secrets if you look for them about how to be a joyful person. Like Paul said, I always pray with joy. Because of this, I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. I work for your progress and joy in the faith. Your joy in Christ Jesus. Make my joy complete. I'm glad and rejoice. You too should be glad and rejoice with great joy. Rejoice in the Lord. My joy and my crown. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say rejoice. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. It's just apparently about joy a whole bunch. And that, like one of the secrets that if you read through it is apparently to be a joyful person is a choice because he says like a bunch of times rejoice in the Lord and he wouldn't tell you to do something if you couldn't if you couldn't do it. And people say, well, I don't really have control over my emotions. Like, but psychologists tell us in recent history, the developers of, of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, that your emotions follow cognition, like you're, you feel the feelings you feel because you think the thoughts you think because you believe the beliefs that you believe. And if you can change your beliefs, it'll change your thoughts and it'll change your feelings. And so like if somebody doesn't like me or whatever, I don't really care. I know that Jesus loves me and I know that he accepts me. And so I'm going to be joyful anyway. I read this thing this week, by the way. I, um, it was a letter, this guy who was applying to all kinds of colleges and he was getting rejection letters and he got one from Harvard, a rejection letter. And that was, that was kind of it for him. And so he actually wrote wrote them um, that he was rejecting that letter. And he said, so to the, to the Office of Admissions, having reviewed the many rejection letters I have received in the past few weeks, it is with great regret that I must inform you I am un unable to accept your rejection at this time. This year, after applying to a great many colleges and universities, I received an especially fine crop of rejection letters. Unfortunately, the number of rejections that I can accept is limited. I am aware of the keen disappointment of my, that my decision may bring throughout my deliberations. I have kept in mind the time and effort it may have taken for you to reach your decision to reject me. Keep in mind that at times it was necessary for me to reject even those letters of rejection that would normally have met my traditionally high standards. I appreciate you having enough interest in me to reject my application. Let me take this opportunity to wish you well in the coming academic year. See you in the fall. So, but it's just like, if somebody doesn't like me, I don't care. Jesus loves me, you know, so... Uh, but, and apparently, like Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Apparently, you can be joyful all the time. And people say, well, you can't be joyful all the time. And it's like, somehow, apparently, you can. Because like when Paul said other stuff, like, be anxious for nothing. Well, it doesn't mean nothing. I mean, you like, most things. But, you know, what about terrorists? Oh, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, I mean, no, I'm not talking about terrorists, you know. But, I mean, they had the Visigoths, so apparently... It was a thing, you know, that you could be joyful all the time. And, um, and it was super, um, it was just kind of a super important thing for him. Like there's a place at the end of chapter one where he said, really the only reason, I'd like to go to heaven. It's going to be a whole lot better for me. But if God has work for me to do, I'm going to stay here. And I know that I, he said, I do have some more work to do. I'm going to continue for your progress and joy in the faith. Like the only reason I'm on earth is because you're not happy enough. Like you, you're, you're not joyful enough and I'm going to be here till you are, you know? So that's kind of my, that's kind of, you know, why 
I'm here. And then, but when you think about this book, you think, well, I don't really understand like how you're talking about this because he was in prison. Like how, how do you talk about being a joyful person um, in prison? And when you think about how he got there, it's like, well, so he was in Jerusalem and he got arrested and it said that he was almost torn in two and it's like, that would be terrible. And then they, so they, he had to go away to trial and he was put in, in prison in um, Caesarea, which was kind of like Lebanon for two years. Okay, two years in prison. And then he had his trial. And then because he was a Roman citizen, he made an appeal to have his trial in the city of Rome, which was where he really always wanted to go. So they put him on a cargo ship with his buddies and they had a two week like storm, like storm on the sea that lasted for two entire weeks. Paul was on he did sea voyages 12 times, that the best count that we that scholars have, the 12 times in his time like on earth. And three of those times he wound up in a shipwreck. So like 25% of the time that he was on a ship, he wound up in the water. And it's just like I would never get on one of those. But he was, and so he had this shipwreck, and then they take him to Rome and he's put in prison. Well, it wasn't exactly prison prison, but it was under house arrest and um but he, but he, the, the word that he most consistently uses to describe it is chains, like he was chained. And there was a special kind of an elite force of the security detail that were assigned actually to Caesar's house and family. And they were assigned to Paul because he was such an important prisoner. So, and many scholars believe that he was chained to them. So like, you're just chained to somebody all the time. And he was a little bit of an older person, kind of like me, and when, you know, you have to get up like th three times a night, you know, and it's just like, you know, hey, Deflavius, again, I don't know what to tell you, brother, but, you know, when you, when you get to be my age, it's the way it is, you know, and it's just, and he was a missionary, so Paul was a missionary, and missionaries are people who, they like to be out there, like they like to go and like they have an important job to do and share Jesus everywhere and I want to go as, you know, I, I worked with some, of the, I mean, I was one, but not as much as the people I worked with. I mean, they were crazy. Like I worked with two guys that were, um, so they were like evangelist, really evangelist and um, you can't really have too many of those in one room. It just kind of gets to be a little much. I mean, they're kind of a lot, but they but they just want to evangelize. So um, th so they had learned how to how to share the message of Jesus out on the streets of Europe in a way that people will listen to it. And so th that's it was amazing. But my one of my colleagues, his name was Tony, and he was from a t Italian descent from South Philadelphia. Him. The guy that trained us, a British guy, he said, you might want to wear kind of bright clothing just because it attracts attention when you're preaching on the street. So Tony shows up one day in these Bermuda orange, bright orange Bermuda shorts and an orange and yellow and red like Hawaiian shirt. And I said, Tony, what are you doing? He said to wear bright clothes. I said, you look like the sun. Like you, you know, and, and when he would talk to people afterwards, like we would share the message of Jesus and then follow up with people. And a lot of times he would reach up to people and he would grab their face like this and he would say, and he would slap it a little bit and he would say, 
ascoltami, like listen to me, listen. And I said, Tony, you are grabbing strangers' face. It's he said, and you don't understand this stuff. He said, we're Italians. I said, you're an Italian from South Philly. Like the only person ever grabbed your face was your uncle. I don't think they do that here, but I mean, they, you know, they were just so, you know, so Paul was just a guy like that. One time, so we used to go out on, onto the streets. On Wednesday afternoon, we'd go to the big square in downtown Milan, but on Wednesday afternoons and Saturday nights, at like between nine and midnight. And, and I remember one, and they just loved it. And I loved it, but it took a lot out of me. When we were done, I was like super done. And I remember one Wednesday, it was raining, and I was like, oh, can I say thank you, Lord? But it's raining. But so I called them. I said, oh, gosh, guys, I'm so sorry. It's raining. They said, yeah, it's raining. Um, we're going in the subway station today. And I was like, we are? And it was just, you know, but they were that way. And so, and Paul was that way. But here he was, he was arrested and he couldn't go. And he just, and so he says to them, I want you to know, everyone, that this is awesome. It's so awesome that I have been put in, this prison jail situation. And you're like, no, it's not awesome. And he's like, yes, it's awesome. Um, I wouldn't have thought it was awesome, but now that I'm living it, it must mean that this is awesome. And so, because this must be the best thing, I'm gonna look at all the different reasons why this is awesome, which is a secret to being a joyful person. It's just like being able to be happy, not only wherever you are, but because of wherever you are. And he's like, let me tell you everything that's so awesome about this. One is there are people, like all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they know that I'm in prison for this. They know that I'm giving my life for this and I'm suffering for it. So it's making them bolder. And they're so, so actually the message of Jesus, not in spite of the fact that I'm in prison, but because I am, it's going out more and more and more because more and more people are getting super bold about sharing Jesus because I'm suffering for it. There was a pastor that, that I heard one time at Cedar Springs Presbyterian, but he was a Romanian pastor under the dictatorship of Ceausescu. And he, he was probably the most well-known pastor in Romania. And um, one time he was taken into the office of the secret police and they told him, you have to stop this. You have to stop talking about this message and stop talking about, um, about Jesus. And he said, well, that's a problem for me because God wants me to keep doing it and you want me to not doing it. And one of you is going to be unhappy with the decision I make. I would much rather it be you than him. So I'm not going to stop. And they said, we will kill you. And he said, if you kill me, I will go to heaven um, where it's going to be beyond anything I've ever imagined. You can't really threaten me that way. Like you can't threaten me with the glory of God. And, and, and he said, and he said, and you know what? Um, he said, when you, if you kill me, I have cassette tapes of my sermons all over this country, and you will be sprinkling them with my blood. And people will say, this man died for what he's saying. I better pay attention to it, and you will supercharge them. He said, your greatest weapon against the advancement of the kingdom of God is killing, and my greatest weapon is dying. 
And so they were like, okay. And they were so impressed with him. They're like, we're not going to, you just do your thing there, boss. We're going to let you alone, you know. And so, and then, and Paul, and he, and, he, and he said, and here's another thing. He said, you know, this guard that's guarding me, this is like a super, um, like a special forces security detail of the Caesar of Rome. Like this is the most powerful person in the world. I'm opening my heart to them. They're hearing the message that I'm willing to suffer for. They're going up there and opening their heart in the family. There's a real cryptic verse at the end of the, of the whole letter where he says, those from Caesar's household send their greetings. It's like, it's reaching all the way to the top, people. And it's just, and not only that, but I'm in prison, so I've got time to sit around and write a bunch of letters, which he did write a bunch of letters. He said, I'm just, I'm thinking about everything good that's coming from this. I mean, this is awesome that I'm in prison. And you think, it's not awesome. And he's like, yeah, I... I probably wouldn't have thought of this as a plan, but now that um, now that I'm living it, I can think of all of the ways that this is an amazing thing. I mean, I probably wouldn't have chosen it, but it's God's plan for me. And so all I can think about is all of the amazing ways that this is the best thing ever. And I'm just like, how do you, how do you do this? Like, how do, how do you be this guy that no matter what I'm going through, I just believe it's the best. And I'm just gonna think of all the reasons why this is the best possible thing. And I remember when I first really encountered this um, letter in a way that I never had before. And so, Tina and I said, okay, we're going to be missionaries too. So um, we had a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And we knew it was going to be hard. You know, I'd read all the books and all that stuff. It was hard in ways that we didn't anticipate. Like, so we took all these kids to, to Milan, Italy. The first week we were there, we, so we didn't know any of the people we were going to be working with. Sam and Joan Fiore, he was my boss. And so what they decided that we would do is like every night is that we would spend the night on cots in the living room of people we didn't know and go just kind of get passed around, which they just thought that was going to be awesome. And then um, so Sam and Joan, they were the first ones. And then they took us to Switzerland. One of my kids puked in his car, like the first thing. And I was like, OK, here's my boss. I'm puking in his car. And then so they took us. So after that, they, they had gotten us an apartment down in Florence, Italy. And so we were in this apartment. It was during a drought. It was in June. And so we were on the fifth floor. After one o'clock, the water didn't reach to the fifth floor. So we had to learn to like fill up our tubs so we could brush our teeth and flush the toilet and stuff like that. And it was just, and my neighbor, um, so my neighbor was my landlord. Our, and they were very sweet. The Gabrieles, they had a daughter, Maria Grazia. She was like, she spoke pretty good English. The mom spoke some, the dad spoke none. So he decided he was gonna take us to the zoo, like the first week we were there with all the kids. It was about an hour away. So as we're driving, he spoke 0% English. We spoke 0.3% Italian, you know? So he said, he said, okay, oggi noi andiamo al famoso zoo di Pistoia. Pistoia è una città bellissima, Toscana. 
fu a Pistoia che nacque Colodi che scrisse Pinocchio. And he could tell by the look on my face. And so he said, Oggi, at last, oggi andiamo alla al famoso do di Pistoia. Pistoia è una bellissima città toscana. Fu a Pistoia che nacque Colodi. And I looked at him and said, my problem is not that I'm deaf. My problem is you speak a hard language. And I don't understand you. And so then we, and we put our kids in, and we had them. In our bedroom, there was a, there was a, there was a painting of Santa Maria, the Virgin Mary above our bed. And, and it was a little different, you know, so we decided to take it down. And then we got pregnant like the next day, which we were not planning on doing. It was just everything. We took our kids to school, to the school they were going to go to. Italians, when Italians are together, they're very excited and enthusiastic. And they all speak at the same time. So they were, everybody was talking at the same time. So one of my kids kind of freaked out and fell down on the sidewalk. He, just, he was trying to grab our ankles as we were leaving. And so they grabbed his ankles and pulled him into the school by his ankles and the door shut. And we thought, what have we done? What have we done to our kids? They were great after that and learned Italian in about three weeks. But it's just, what have we done? And so we were just going through all this stuff and it's like, this is so hard. And so about a month into it, I was trying to learn the Italian language better. And I did something, I took the book of Philippians and I cut it in, the, cut the pages out and I would go jogging with it every day. And I would say like a verse to myself. And so I'm reading it out loud with a terrible accent, and, but seeing it, and it was kind of complex grammar, and to help me learn. And one thing I did learn is like, if you do a, like a verse and go over it and go over it while you're jogging, and then the next day do that verse, and kind of scooch up a little bit, you can get the next verse. And then I know two verses, and then I know three verses. And in about, in about six, anybody in the world can do this. If you think you can't, you can. A little bit every day means a lot. But in about six weeks, I could say the whole book of Philippians in Italian. But when I got to that part where he said, Voglio che sappiate, fratelli, che quanto mi è accaduto, ha piuttosto contribuito al progresso del Vangelo. And I'm like, how, how do you do this? How can you say, I want you to know that what has happened to me has turned out for the greater advancement of the gospel? Who are you? How do you do this kind of thing? How can you be this kind of person? And I, I would go through the book and try to get the secret of it, but I realized that, that I had missed it. I had missed the secret, and it's because I skipped a couple, when I started memorizing it, like I started in verse three, and I had skipped one and two. And the secret is in verse two, where he said, grace and peace from God our Father. There it is. Um, like these Philippians, they didn't grow up this way. They didn't grow up believing there was one God who rules over all things. Like when Paul first went there, the only people who really believed that were the Jewish people who believed that there was one God who ruled over everyone, Yahweh, the God of promises. They didn't believe that. They believed all kinds of Roman stuff. And it was just, you know, these gods that were super mean and all this. And they had learned that there is one God. And he rules over every molecule and every second 
of this universe, that he is God of the weather, sun, moon, winds, rain, and snow do his bidding. He rules over nations. He rules over human hearts. There's a place in the, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, in the day of prosperity rejoice, in the day of adversity remember, the Lord has made the one as well as the other. There's a place in Daniel chapter nine where there was, a, there was a, this, a global leader who was, he just, he wanted devotion that only belonged to God and he wanted to give it to him and so God set him down for seven years and when he came out of that he said he said the eternal his the eternal God his dominion is eternal and he does what he wants to in the heavens above and on earth beneath and no one can stop his hand or say to him what do you think you're doing in Ephesians chapter 1 he says he does all, he works all things after the purpose of his own will and Paul said, and he, there, this, the, the one God who rules every second and molecule, he is our dad. He is my father. He is our father. Not everybody can say that. Paul said in another place, we're children, we're the sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus, the, the ruler of the universe of every second and every molecule is your dad. He is your dad. And you're like, Okay, that doesn't really say anything to me because mine wasn't really that nice to me and uh, he was really kind of harsh or I didn't know my dad and my stepdad was a jerk and I don't really want another one of these, especially one that's eternally humongous. And, but, the, but there's places like the, 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 the dream, the dream of the dad you always wanted. Even if a person didn't have it, God has put it in your heart. Like if someone were to ask you, I didn't have a dad that I wish I would have wanted. Like I know most people here probably did. Some people maybe didn't. But what would you have wanted? What kind of dad would you have wanted? You know exactly what you would have wanted. I would have wanted my dad to tell me that he loves me. I would have wanted a dad that didn't, wasn't always teaching me lessons all the time. I wish I, I, didn't, I wish I had a dad that I didn't feel like I was always failing tests I didn't know I was taking. I wish I know what I would have wanted. He put that dream in your heart. He put that dream in the pages of this book. When Jesus talked about the God that we, the, the dad that we have in heaven, it's like a daddy. In his most famous story, who had a son who said, I wish I could have the inheritance that's coming to me. I wish you were dead, is really kind of what he was saying. And he went off and he wasted it and lost all his friends and he thought he was gonna die and he was eating, feeding pigs and eating their food. He probably had diarrhea. I always feel like if whatever a person is doing is giving them diarrhea, it's God's way of telling him, this is not working for you. And so he was just like, I guess I'll just go home and it, maybe my dad will kill me. I don't know. And he didn't know that his dad was waiting for him every day, every day. And as soon as he saw him, he ran to him and he just hugged him and kissed him and hugged him and kissed him. No penalties, no pro parole, no probation, just a party. This is the heart of dad. He put it in your heart. He put it in the pages. He put it in a manger. He th it's like when Jesus was born, Jesus was almighty God, the son. And he grew up and he lived in our world. And he told the people that loved him, the father's just like me. 
there's a, when Jesus, the way Jesus loved people, you get the impression in the Gospels that they're just struggling to find ways to describe it. Like there's, tw there's 12 times in the Gospels that it talks about someone being moved with compassion. And it means it has the word, it's the word intestines, like within deep inside your intestines. It's just, I'm just moved. Of, of all 12 times, 11 of them are used of Jesus. And the one that isn't used of Jesus is used, it's used in the story that Jesus told about the way the Father feels about us. You know, and when Jesus, so when Jesus would heal people, he didn't, he didn't have to touch them, but he did. When Jesus healed people, he didn't have to weep with them, but he did. When Jesus healed people, there were people he didn't even have to heal, but he did. There's a place in, in Luke chapter 7 where there was a funeral coming out of a city, a funeral procession for a widow's only son. And Jesus just stopped and said, no, no. Not today, not, I've, I've seen enough of this. There will come a day when all of this will happen, but it will not be this day. And it was just his heart, you know? And so um, he's put that idea, if you have kids, he's put this idea in a crib in your house. Whenever, whenever the New Testament compares the love of God the Father for um, the love of a dad for his kids, it's not compared to the way the love that you got from your dad. It's the love that you feel for your children, for the love that you felt when you watched over them. It's like Sarah Grove said, I could watch you till the end of time, especially when I know that baby's mine. And that feeling you feel times a million. And then you think, and that heart rules every second of this universe and every molecule of it. And you say, but you don't know, you, know, you don't know how much I've messed up and you don't know the things I've done and you don't know what a mess I've been. And Paul said, grace and peace from God the Father, he's your dad and the Lord Jesus Christ and that's why he came because of the mess you've been. But there was a moment, in the, there was a moment when it seemed like God, the ruler of the universe, had completely lost control of it. And, and cr a, a moment where, a moment where it felt like a cowards ruled and crowds were ruling and cruelty was ruling. And they took the savior of the world and they arrested him and then they beat him and then they stripped him and then they tortured him and then they nailed him and then they killed him. And it's like everything is completely out of control. And Peter said, no, Month, weeks later he said, no, it wasn't out of control. Wicked hands and wicked hearts did what they did. But this was a pre-ancient pre plan and it was precisely what was going to happen because Jesus had come to pay and to buy precisely you because he wanted you. And if you have a God with a heart like that, a savior with a heart like that, who rules every second and molecule of this universe, whatever happens to you, whatever you're going through, all you have to say is, this must be the best. And I, if you don't believe that about the heart of God, then when things happen to you, even good things, you're gonna start thinking about bad things that will come. But if you believe that, if you, if you are convinced of that,
that God the Father has the heart that he has. And Jesus, your Savior, has paid for all the mess you've done. And that whatever happens comes from a heart like that. I'm just going to start looking for good stuff that's come from everything that's happening. And you think, well, how do you do it? How do you, so how do you set your heart like that? You do exactly what we're about to do. You praise him for those things. You start singing about it. I think, I think it was Stephen Sondheim who said, words help you think a thought. Music helps you feel a feeling. A song helps you feel a thought. And that's what Paul did with his buddy the first time they went to Philippi and they were arrested for talking about Jesus and they were beaten and they were thrown back in prison. And, and, and they just thought this has to be the best plan. How do you know? Because we're about to sing about it. And they just started singing praises to the heart of God their Father and to the heart of Jesus their Savior. And there was a guy listening, the guy who had beaten them. And it wouldn't be long before he was saying, I need this. I need a heart like yours. Tell me all about it. And they did. Lord Jesus, um, so simple, so simple, but um, help us to be good at this simple thing of just believing, believing that we have a father with a heart so beautiful and believing that you, almighty God, who became a human being to make us your very own. So we could do better at seeing the good in the stuff you're doing. In right, your precious go. name, amen. When life seems to roll like a storm out of control, there is so much I don't know that is in your plan. You named every star and you placed them where they are. Every beat of every heart is within your